We are going to be the animals today and get into some Pearl Jam with you all. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing Pearl Jam's second album, Versus, uh, 1993. Um, our next kind of uh, uh, album battle we're doing. It'll be up against Nirvana's In Utero. So that a, a grunge off, um, if you will. That'll be fun, I think. A uh, '93 grunge off, to say the least. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. it was a good year. '93 was a good year, and they had some good albums. None more fitting by title alone than "Verses" when we're gonna <laughs> put it up against another album. So this was uh, this this pick didn't come out of the title being "Verses." This pick came out of it being one that I'll I'll always remember, if not just for the uh, the cover art. Um, it's one of the covers that will stick with me forever. Uh, but this is definitely an album that has stuck with me forever as well. An easy pick for us to break down for me. Oh, definitely. Um, and yeah, a lot going on with Pearl Jam. And uh, I, maybe some obsessives are listening. So don't hey. be too hard on us, please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back to 1993. So by that point, Pearl Jam was possibly the biggest band in America um, based on album sales. Uh, it sounds like the 10 album took some time to really become a big hit, but it soon enough was. And so, of course, the follow-up was highly anticipated. And what were you... Yeah, the pressure was on. And uh, it, it was not easy for lead singer Eddie Vedder. He... um. Just like they were recording in this fancy studio, and he's like, "No, we we we're not these people." But it turns out, no, we are these people. We're huge rock stars. He even slept in his truck a few nights to write songs to get that experience. <laughs> he yeah, he was at war with himself over the ease of celebrity that came along with Ten because Ten owned the airwaves. I mean, back then. You were listening to one. There's probably five. I don't know if top of my head, probably five singles that I can count off that album that you were listening to all the time. It didn't matter what radio station you put it on. They they were there. Ten was ten was a hell of an album to come up behind, you know, to put a second album out. And it hit him hard. Um, but yeah, he was at war with himself, sleeping in a truck because it was too serene for him in the place where they were recording. And a new drummer on top of that. Yeah, not the yeah. longest lasting drummer, but right. Yeah, that was that was something fun to learn. I did actually um if you have any interest in Pearl Jam or 90s music, I read a very good book called Long Road, Pearl Jam and the Story of a Generation by Stephen Hyden. Uh Came out last year. Highly recommend if you have any interest in Pearl Jam. It has um, a lot of tidbits about the band and the history and analysis of the songs and how they fit into the context of their generation because it's so... At this point, Pearl Jam is quite notable for their longevity because, I mean, it's been pointed out, they were one of the big four of grunge and all of those bands have lost their lead singers. Eddie Vedder is the only one still kicking of that, like of the main figureheads of the grunge movement, those lead singers. We've lost Scott Wayland, obviously Kirk Cobain, Lane Staley, and Chris Cornell. So Eddie's this last one, and that just makes Pearl Jam a just a durable band. 
they're all durable, but you know, like we said, people are in and out, yep. you know, <laughs> and, and the Pearl Jam is literally durable. They're still doing it. <laughs> exactly. Um, With a lot of that, with most of the original lineup, I mean, to stay that intact over for over 30 years, that's no small feat. <laughs> yeah. And from what I've always got from the band even more so looking into it now they're so passionate about it that sometimes it has them at odds against themselves but more so only to push each other into the space where they where they know they can go i've, I've always felt that through their music i've always felt like a connectivity and a super super burning passion from them a lot of that comes from eddie for me but a lot of it comes from mccready too who first hot tea take of the of the the session here mccready for me is one of the most underrated and unknown to the mass populace guitarists from that scene if you want to even say from the big four from 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 that whole run uh as far as the grunge scene there's so much guitar that this world has known from him and doesn't know his face or name yeah that's it's insane to think about and I mean, frankly, um, I'm going to refer to the drummer on this album as Dave A. I can't pronounce his last name, but neither could the author of the book that I just plugged. So um, <laughs> he that was written in the book, so I don't feel bad about it. So it's okay, Dave A. Uh, he did not get on with Eddie Vedder at all and wanted to actually be a rock star. There was no sleeping in trucks for him. <laughs> that just... Right. But... um. Yeah, they got into it, but honestly, his drumming just brings so much to the album, I think. And um, just the overall sound of the band. And uh, I, I think it's a shame things didn't work out in the long run with him. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> no, that's real, though. The drums on this album are insane. And, you know, being at odds with each other, he's one of the ones that felt great inside of this rock I won't say God yet, but this rock star life in this this serene paradise recording where Eddie couldn't stand it. The serenity, um, you know, that that he got from the whole recording process is the opposite. And for me, that's why that's one of the big reasons why it didn't last for him, just because this ultimate difference in in like hardcore beliefs and feelings. Yeah. And we, we will even see those feelings reflected in the songwriting here. Um, yeah. So uh, there is that. But um, yeah, this album, after being recorded throughout the winter, spring of 93, it was released on October 12th, 1993, to high anticipation. And um, the band actually didn't, they hardly promoted it because um, I think they felt overexposed by MTV after 10 and particularly the video for the song Jeremy, which was a controversial video um, and that they felt was misinterpreted. So they said, we're just gonna not do it this way and do things differently. But it did nothing to stop the demand. Um, this album sold over 950,000 copies in five days, which was easily a record for the time still an insane number that's incredible especially with no promotion almost i feel like this album was on like the top selling wall of sam goodies you know like the top seller of the stores for at least two three years that you saw this album up on the walls and it was going there 
back then <laughs> there wasn't a CD case that I knew that didn't have this in it. Yeah, it because it did keep selling. Uh, it's now gone seven times platinum in the U.S., which not as high as ten. That's gone thirteen times platinum now, which is really insane. But that's still a huge number, and yeah. um, I mean. Yeah, there's there's no taking that away. The demand was there. People wanted to hear this. And um, yeah, primarily an American phenomenon, but it did okay overseas too. Have you ever got a chance to listen to 10? Not all the way through. I know the big hits, of course, but... Which is a lot of the album, in my opinion. A lot of their big ones that stuck with the populace, uh, you know, resonated from 10. But... This one, it's crazy to hear that it doesn't have the numbers that 10 did because I feel like this was way more in, in our face than 10 was. Not in, you're right, not in a uh, a commercial standpoint, but it was everywhere. Like everybody was listening to this album. I mean, my guess would just be over time, 10, the 10 songs are so well known. It just had a bit more of the longevity would be my guess. Because these songs are, they're not nothing songs at all. There's a lot of great stuff here, but there's nothing that's quite as well known as even Flow or Jeremy, which are like the first ones people will think of, I think. Yeah, and this this album is way more visceral too. It's way, way more raw sounding than than 10 was. Um, yeah, and some of that interestingly, the band wasn't really happy with the production of 10, and they switched producers to Brendan O'Brien, and he ended up doing several albums for the band since after this, but just, and he even remixed 10 later on because they just really? didn't, yeah, because the band wasn't, or at least Eddie Vedder wasn't too happy with how it sounded. He said, like, it just wasn't really them, but I mean, that's a bold move in and of itself to switch producers after a massively successful debut. You'd think they just want to go back to the same guy again. Yeah, not those guys. Not if they're happy, especially not Vetter. He's one of those yeah. artists that is headstrong, and rightfully so in hindsight, that's... or maybe maybe not, maybe both, but rightfully so. And he gets it done, but he he doesn't. Yeah, I mean, he sleeps in a truck. <laughs> that's one similarity with Kurt Cobain, I guess you could say. Most definitely. Even though Kurt Cobain said the band Pearl Jam sucked, but <laughs> yeah, I always held them on different levels of the of the grunge sound um we'll get into that but it, it definitely is terrible to hear either of them say anything bad because they're better didn't really so. say anything bad though about better, Cobain. that's another thing i've really learned like i've always known him to be tight to the chest and and he's always came across very tight to the chest but he has the ability to choose his words in the media very very well and he keeps it tight to the chest you know it, there's not a lot you can find him blowing off the hook and and you know uh going crazy in in his his media stuff it's it's pretty yeah. pretty contained that's key to being a lasting person in the music business that's key to it all agreed agreed yeah so with that being said, I'm ready to dive on into verses. Uh, this was a different one for me, but I'm excited to talk about it. Hey, man, let's get at it. All right. So um, 
The album opens with Go. Uh, the guitar riff on this song was actually written by the drummer Dave A. Um, I take this as kind of a breakup song of sorts. Other than that, I'm just not entirely sure what it's exactly about. But I also kind of don't care because I think this is an awesome opener. It's just that great high energy raw sound to let us know what we're in for. And um, I mean, yeah, the riff is killer. That is the highlight of the song. So um, hats off to Dave for that. You made your mark in Pearl Jam, even if you didn't last for too much longer after this. But, um, and just hearing this, I just thought, you know, like, I feel like they really wrote a lot of these songs, like thinking of their concert, like these are songs, what will go over well live. And this is one that, so would i just think this would be an incredible concert opener yeah yeah and it's incredible opener to this album you know you're totally there with the exact raw energy uh of a live pearl jam and it sings straight through here i mean they come in screaming on this intro um you know, I don't know if you read it, uh, but Eddie had said tongue in cheek that he wrote this song about his truck at the time. <laughs> like, don't go out on me. So if you look at the lyrics, it's pretty funny, even if he didn't write it about his truck, um, how similar it could be uh, about his pickup truck at the time. But such a, a wild one. This is for this album this is such a great choice for the lead in my opinion because this creative input came from everywhere you know uh you've got other people writing different parts but really the whole band coming together and and just getting this down uh i love that especially on an album um you know titled verses we we didn't really speak on it but like they had even gone on to say that verses really made them feel what it is to make an album because sometimes it's you versus the other members in the band in a constructive sense, but it comes from that. So it's great to see all that creative input here uh, from everyone and such a powerful opening track. Yes, indeed it is. And before we go on to the next track, I wanted to let you all know to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it and leave us a nice rating and review. That would be greatly appreciated. And also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and T Podcast and on tw- X, formerly the app formerly known as Twitter, X, <laughs> um, <laughs> at Turntables T. That's where we um, promote our upcoming episodes and just try to stay engaged with all of the listeners out there and uh we'd love to do it we love you all and i just want to mention that before we move on to track number two one of the album's most beloved and known songs animal um this song actually contains uh, in the lyrics the album's original title five against one <laughs> yeah and um so a lot of people think this song is actually about gang rape I that didn't come across to me immediately clear, but a lot of people have taken that. It's such a reach. I'm sorry, and, and not not to jump in here, but like it's such a reach, man. It's so crazy to me. I I couldn't believe what I was reading when I read that. Like what? I mean, come on, man, come on. I mean, you have to reach. Someone has to. For me, in my opinion, someone has to say this song is about gang rape, and you have to be like. Well, I guess, uh, like, I don't know, man. 
I don't buy that one. That's a weird one. I was, I was crazy to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't quite see it, but then again, maybe I just don't want to think about gang rape. So <laughs> that, that could be, um, that could be it too. Cause, oh, I, we don't need to hear more about that. Cause it's very sad to think about, but, um, the song, though, either way, this is definitely an angry song. There's no doubting that. He's fired up about something. And um, it's it's loud and it's heavy. And so if you don't want that, you're not going to like this. Um, just flat out saying that now. But I do like it. I, uh, I mean, heaviness sometimes can be a deterrent for me, admittedly, but... I think it works for this song because it is so angry, even if I'm not entirely sure what it's about. He's fired up about something, and it comes through in this composition. And you know what? If he is angry about gang rape, I can accept that. That's a valid thing to be angry about, because <laughs> who the fuck does that? It's <laughs> a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, man, the anger is is definitely there. I'm right with you. In fact, I'm paraphrasing, but Eddie had come forth and said, "I don't want to talk about what the anger is about." And in fact, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, "In fact, at the studio, they were like, let's turn up the lyrics so we can hear more of what you're saying." And then they turned them up, and they were like, "Let's not do that." <laughs> so that anger resonates and is true regardless um you know regardless of, of what it's about for me this one keeps that beautiful intensity going in here but we start to get an open look at the band and for me it really starts at 153 where this solo starts to go and the solo is so it's so solid but I hope you can follow me and feel me on this. Like this solo is, it's not like a screaming solo. It's not like a raging solo in your face. It starts and it sort of talks normal to you, you know, and it doesn't go up and down scales as fast as, you know, like a Van Halen solo or something. But when it joins the rest of the pieces after it's done, this normal talking is when it starts to shred, uh, you know, like I was saying up and down these, these, these uh scales in a in a very screaming manner and i love that i love that when it comes back to the band it really takes off it fits so beautifully inside the anger of this composition uh that way and i i love it this song man this song is a super heavy number two it's a super beloved song but it's it's perfectly put on this this uh, album definitely agree with you there but we're gonna tone it down a little bit while dealing with heavy subject after something a bit more acoustic our next song is daughter um not entirely acoustic but definitely stripped down in comparison to the first two songs and i think that's this is a good point in the album to do that because they are very heavy songs to listen to so and uh, this is definitely about child abuse uh that's what the song's about it's about the girl who gets abused and it's specifically um eddie vether said the girl he's singing about in the song has a learning disability that's misunderstood at home, which, um, I mean, that's tragic just to think about. Fortunately, I have struggled with learning disabilities. I was on an IEP for a long, long time. I have one, but I didn't um get anything taken out on me at home. And I just can't imagine that pain because dealing with that 
at school is hard enough having to deal with a learning disability because people think you just don't get it or you don't try hard enough. It's like, no, actually, it's because I have this problem here that I can't really do anything about, like, I'm doing my best. And uh, just, it's a really powerful story song. That is uh, it. That's just really what it is. And um, I think it's an important thing to talk about. And I think it's done really well in this song. And again, I feel the anger here is righteous. Righteous and something that we can only think is so near and dear to Eddie Vedder's heart for whatever reason, because it's something that we see on an inaugural hit um, in Jeremy. And then oh. now we're back into another um, narrative about this learning disorder. Now, this one, when you talk about the child abuse inside of this, these this child with with a learning disorder, I have to say to you that you were I'm happy that you were born when you were, because this song really resonates, at least for me in that generation, when you knew that you had friends that were, you know, just not learning at the same speed you were and you didn't know why. And they were shunned and looked down upon. This is before ADHD. This is before it was really even really talked about like this. So on that note, in my opinion, he is a little ahead of his time talking about this and in such a narrative uh, and spot on way, which I've always loved about this song. Um, you know, love the beauty that he brings out of the tragedy in this narration uh, and this composition, but just loving the pure fact that he's there talking about it uh, in, in, in such in, in any way. Um, this song has always been this song's a bunch of different levels for me because this song is really just a G chord, like modified. So as a young man, this was an easy one to play, not an easy one to sing. In fact, if my voice is a bit raspy, that's because I've been singing Eddie Vedder for two weeks in my kitchen and on vacation. <laughs> and it's not as easy as it used to be. But uh, it, this one sitting in that G is such a genius way to see how you can really bring a composition through on just a few. Don't get me wrong. There's an E minor change later on uh, chord-wise that we work with, but it, it's inside this G um, for almost the whole song. And then we get this beautiful electricity uh, that starts during the narrative when it's she holds the hand that holds her down. Uh, and, and you know, inside of this narrative, it's such a such a crazy tumultuous time inside of it. And then she will rise above, boom, we blossom into this beautiful electric solo. Um, that was it, it's just a I I literally could sing it note for note uh to this day. Such a beautiful one that stays with you. We get back to that acoustic tones again. Um but here's a, a place where Dave A, uh, as we're called him tonight, because I'm not going to struggle with the double Zs either. I looked up <laughs> the phonetic and tried it a few times. But uh, this is one where his drums are really a crucial part of this narrative. Uh, and I really scream through. The raw drums we get later on um, through this like monologue mantra um, that the, this girl is saying to herself are, are super, super just legendary, in my opinion. Um, and Eddie said it so I can say it like 
literally when he sings the shades go down it's in his mind us leaving this picture and the shades going down for the rest of the neighborhood his words um not to see this abuse going on but the way this song creeps out musically is so beautifully creepy man like it's just you're there as far as as eddie narrating it as far as the boys getting down on this beautiful composition and as far as being a listener it's a hundred percent for me this is one of those songs that i've always just been in love with because it's so genius on so many different levels yeah most definitely i mean you brought that layers to it i hadn't even thought of this is just it's a brilliant song it is it is but uh it, it's funny you mentioned dave a because actually his influence is nowhere more present than on the next song Heard. <laughs> um which is glorified g this was uh this song in particular was highlighted in the book i mentioned earlier um so one day, Dave came in and told Eddie Vedder that he had bought two guns recently. And um, Eddie Vedder, of course, was anti-gun. <laughs> not not on that. It, it started a debate within the band about guns. Always a heavy topic, that's for sure. And um, Stephen Hyden points out in the book, like, really, Eddie Vedder's making fun of his bandmate with this song. Because he's saying, like, this, it's so silly, like, glorif- it's just a glorified version of a pellet guy. Yep. It, the lyrics in this song are actually, and this is another one from Eddie, this is him just jotting down what the band's saying while he listens to this debate and 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 making a wild song out of it. Craziness. Yeah, and uh, it does seem that this is not the most beloved song on the album. There are people who do not like it. Um, I mean, and it is not subtle in any way. It's very clear. And uh, if you're if you're pro guns in any way, you're probably not going to love this song because uh, its point of view is very clear. However, I like it, and politics, um, social issues notwithstanding, I think it's a really good rock song, and I think it's just it's got that great sing along hook to it that. Just a great arena rock song is made of. This is the bones of that. And um, that alone makes the song a winner for me. And heavy-handed or not, this is still a topic that people are discussing all of the time. Um, You know, whether or not we should be having guns or not. And uh, I mean, we still, I mean, locally, I'm still hearing about shootings all the time. It's really sad that, hear that but i mean just for me having seen some local headlines recently it just made the song hit harder for me it's like what he's talking about still hits 30 years later and that um i mean that in and of itself is timeless even if you find the song's messaging heavy-handed and he's still very vocal about that um and he still is you know doing his part on that i i can't believe that if you've known eddie vetter for two minutes or if you've known eddie vetter for 200 years i can't believe it's a topic that you wanted to bring up and didn't think it wasn't going to be a debate you know for someone he's quoted as saying the drummer's quoted as saying uh i bought a gun 
And Eddie says, you bought a gun? He said, well, in fact, I bought two guns. And that's where this debate starts. It's a baited, uh, a baited way to start a conversation with Eddie Vedder, in my opinion. But whether you're pro-gun or, or not, if you're pro-Pearl Jam at this point in time, or especially in, in my case, this riff right off the cut was crazy. Like, we get this sort of like country rock riff almost that that starts off this song it's really for me reminiscent of like some 80s um rock pop sounds but it's it's this wild just mashup of this like country riff meets eddie vetter's riff and then the it all falls together and long story short into what becomes a very beautiful song and I've always equated the quirkiness of this song. I'll use the word quirky here um, to be just another layer of Eddie's tongue in cheek glorified version of a pellet gun. So I I like how that the music, the composition here mimics that, that tongue in cheekness of what Eddie Vedder sang in the song. Oh yeah. So, so good. And um, I just want to sing along to this with a crowd of people. (laughs) <laughs> so um anybody who has any access to Pearl Jam, please two requests. Have them come to Baltimore next year and include Glorify <laughs> G on the set list. There you go. There I wanna see go. I wanna see Pearl Jam at Camden Yards. I think that would be <laughs> amazing. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Uh, I, so bad. I, like. yeah. I, I told Charlie before we started, but I'll say it again. There's one time in life where I've never been so sad to miss a concert. I had a chance, or I didn't really have a chance. It was a last-minute ditch effort because I was terrible at planning back then. But long story short, the Pearls toured with the Pearls. (laughs) Pearl Jam toured with the Rolling Stones in 97, and they came to Philly, and I couldn't find anybody. I'm talking about anybody to go. And definitely one that will be missed forever but hopefully i'll get to see him one day yes definitely please sooner rather than later because they neglected the east coast a bit this year pearl jam come on boys in their in their thing but um anyway (laughs) enough of that uh we're gonna actually get back to talking about the album believe it or not not just concerts so um the next song our track number five is this event um this is a song about a woman housing a political refugee okay so it's any better man (laughs) it is but i just have to say right off the cuff first off this is not a relatable song in any way I'm, like I feel like before this, we were talking about very real stuff that even if you, the listener, as an individual, have an experience, you probably know somebody who has, or like you've come across these things. Like we we all deal with guns, we all you hear about abuse, all that stuff. That this <laughs> it's just such a strange thing to write a song about. I think because it's so. This is like the plot of an action movie. I feel like just like some. 90s action flick almost even uh yeah like Demi Moore has her (laughs) as a refugee in her house (laughs) but um so there's that 
I do think it is a well-written song, um, and it's a sad story. The woman turns the refugee in and then feels really bad about it, um, which, uh, yeah, I, I would imagine that's pretty sad. I don't know how you were housing the refugee in the first place, but okay. Um, uh, I, I have to say, most of all on this one, uh, it's not one of my favorites here because of that lack of relatability. I think it's a bit too off the wall in comparison to other songs here, but um, I will give them credit for doing something different. It's definitely different. It is definitely different. It is definitely a character-driven piece. I never knew it was about this back in the day. In fact, I had always projected some kind of girlfriend that was fed up with this guy that she was taking care of on the couch <laughs> maybe it speaks a little bit to my young teenage ways back in the day but i this was always like a weird breakup not breakup song for me uh there was this you know this terrible love that she couldn't hold on to so she folded um uh, <laughs> but it makes sense now that i know what it what it was about it i is it relatable in that sense? No. Uh, does Eddie do a good job at painting the picture? I will say yes. Um, musically, this one, we talk about intro. We talk about the hook first and how that can be important to some songs. This is one of my favorite cases uh, that we've talked about. If it, if Dissident, in my opinion, if Dissident didn't start off with the solo riff the boom 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 it wouldn't hit and it wouldn't like if this song started right off in the narrative it wouldn't make it so that's super important and they did a great job there um i this one is one that i've always loved because the eddie scream yelling in this when he really gets up there um this that's pure eddie vetter for me so this one uh is it's just that pure feeling of veteran this one holds it up higher uh than a couple songs on here for me this one i, lo I love dissidents one of my faves and now i know what it's about <laughs> yeah it's a wild story that's for sure that is for sure and now wow we've reached our halfway point of the album with uh track number six wma um, this one takes on police brutality, uh, specifically uh, incident Eddie Vedder was a part of. He saw his black friend get hassled while the cops left him alone. And um, from the reading I've done, this wasn't too long after the Rodney King riot. So uh, police brutality was a big part of the conversation, not to the extent that it has been these past few years with the advent of social media. But it was being talked about. Um, this is, I would say this is an interesting song. Uh, to me, the crazy thing about this song is it's weird to think of this in the context of the gangster rap era. A, a like that, because this is that time. And yeah. um, and I'm not going to compare it to that because there is no comparison. This is um, <laughs> sung from a completely different point of view, the outsider point of view of, in this case, a white man singing about this. And so maybe it doesn't hit as hard as it would coming from a more first-person perspective, but at the same time, 
nothing's going to change if you don't speak up. And Eddie Vedder is speaking up in this point. The band is making a bold statement here. And what I respect most about this is at this point, as I said, Pearl Jam was probably the biggest band in America at the release of this album, from what I'm reading. And everybody's buying this album. Like, not everybody was buying gangster rap albums. Not everybody had a copy of Straight Outta Compton. This sold a lot more than that. And so it was pretty gutsy, actually, to put this song on an album where your audience might not be receptive to what it's saying. And in that case, I really respect the song. And I think it's an interesting composition. I do think it goes on a bit too long. It is almost six minutes. And uh, that is something to think about when all the previous songs were under four minutes. So it it takes me out of the album just a little bit. I can see, I can see that, especially... Uh, especially the way the drums come in on this. I can see it, especially on the length. For me, it keeps me invested musically, even after Eddie stops narrating and screaming. But I can see how it could it could definitely take away from the vibe of this album. Yeah, most definitely respect uh, to Eddie doing that here. But speaking from someone from the generation, even as early as this, in my opinion, he was someone that I could hear say that and it would hold validity uh, and it would hold context more, not even more so alongside of me knowing really everyone knowing I talked about the tightness to the chest, but you also knew that he was uncomfortable. You knew that he was not really all about the showbiz and that was for me, reason of a huge reason why I respected and enjoyed him so much. So that being said, you also knew that if he was talking about something and got behind it that he stood for, you know, it was real and you and it resonated. I'll, I'll even say in facts in cases like this, this might be a wild hot take, but he resonates in the same way that Rage Against the Machine would resonate. What I'm saying is it resonates without it having to be straight out of Compton or or, or anything out of the gangster rap being the only ones that said it. So I'm, I'm right with you on that. But Eddie did have that validity back then. It's a little bit of the least memorable track for me. It doesn't stick to me like the rest of the album does. Uh, that's why I can feel you on it taking you out of the album interesting um i don't know if i would call it the least memorable though i don't think we're there yet <laughs> um oh. I, I, I don't actually think we're there yet um when it comes to least memorable but uh you, i don't you be, think that you be careful you be careful what you're about to say <laughs> it's not the next song i promise it's not yeah. blood yeah. which is track number seven uh this is the shortest song on the album, actually. And um, this one is particularly about the media coverage and how they were doing it. And that's something all rock stars have to deal with. So, of course, they've got something to say about it. And when you're this grunge anti-rock star, of course, you're going to be like, oh, I can't stand how they're talking about us. And even though you are putting yourself out there, I do think um, reading his quotes about it. I think Eddie Vedder did have a point by saying like they were comparing us to all these other bands yeah. I mean even though that's kind of what we're doing here but he is correct there were 
uh, naturally a lot of Nirvana comparisons, especially when it came out that Kurt Cobain said he thought Pearl Jam sucked. And the other one um, that I learned more about was when the Stone Temple Pilots came onto the scene, they were accused of ripping off Pearl Jam. And so Eddie Vedder's just kind of like, that's not what we're here to do. Like, we're, we're, that's just, we're not here to compete with other bands. Why are you focusing on this? It's so silly, is where he's coming from. And so in that case, I think that this is very cool. And I do like this song is a little funky, too. It is. I, I do get that this is an angry song. However, uh, I, I have to say Eddie's screaming on this one doesn't really work for me. I, it comes off to me a bit like he's trying to do like a James Hetfield impression and... Uh, Eddie Vedder's a great singer, but he's not like for the he's not a metal singer. He's not James Hetfield, and I don't think he should try to be. Um, but I can't say it really takes me away from it all because it's not a long song, and uh, it doesn't take me out of things, and it fits in with everything else here. So I can't knock it too much, but not my favorite here. But it doesn't really, it doesn't kill the album for me so there's that yeah it doesn't kill the album for me um you know wma might not be the most memorable for me on the album but blood for me is a quick thought you know it's a quick thought it's a full thought um for me this is right off the cut this is like what i think about it when I think about a mosh pit opening up, I mean, <laughs> it's it's just that kind of mosh pit jam until it gets a little funky. Um, it's crazy. Here you go. Right out of my notes. Eddie screaming here at first seems super forced. That early on screaming in this track for me, and I love his screaming or his scream singing in most parts, uh, especially when it's a guttural. This one wasn't really a guttural, guttural one for me, even back then. It seemed like it almost didn't fit. Even when he holds that scream out and then transitions straight to that soft singing, it just doesn't seem to be exactly what I think of when I think of him. So this was this is my least favorite on the album. It always has been. Yeah, it, it's a toss up for me between this and another one later yep. on actually so but uh that one later on is not the next song not at all no 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 <laughs> i will not slander rearview mirror never ever um this one yes yeah, so this is yeah it's a song about driving away from it all you kind of get that from the title rearview mirror all one word <laughs> which is cool um i just uh I think this song is the most autobiographical song on the album, definitely. I think it really reflects where Vether was in his headspace about being thrust into this new rock star role um, kind of overnight, very quickly, with his first album from his band. And uh, it really does have that driving sound and feel to it, and I really enjoy that. This is just a really solid rock song and um i i was just i was not surprised to learn this is a live favorite and their greatest hits album was named after it <laughs> which is an apt title for it but um but more than anything even though it's autobiographical it's also real i think everybody can relate to this song it's not just speaking to rock stars or ladies holding refugees in their hats 
that's <laughs> true. Uh, I'll be honest, back in the day, I always hated the opening riff of the song. I always hated it. I always felt that like it was too poppy. Uh, maybe it was my grunge tastes back then, but like straight up honesty, I used to skip this song early on. And I, I'll probably say the first three times I listened to this album, I skipped this song about a minute in each time back in the day. Um, I learned to love this song throughout. Um, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful piece that musically goes way different than I thought it would right off the, the cut. You know, the young me didn't, I guess, have time to, to listen. <laughs> but I love this song. I love the way it comes together. Um, I was so happy to find um, through the research of Eddie saying that he's always thought this song sounded too poppy um, or he didn't use the word poppy. I, I won't even because uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines where he felt it was too in a paraphrasing way. He felt it was like too commercial or too easy uh, of a song. But I, I love this song. It, it it has resonated since the time I learned to love it. You know, I didn't give it a chance at first because of that opening poppy riff. But uh, I've I've come to love that one. It, it it is more mainstream sounding than other songs here, but when it's this well done, I can't complain. I don't feel like this is the machine at work or something telling them make a hit. Like agreed. Well, they didn't need to. They were gonna sell a butt ton of albums anyway. So it didn't even didn't even matter. In fact, it didn't matter enough quite for them to put a song as interesting as the next one on this album, which is rats and yes this song is literally about rats it even mentions ben that michael jackson sang about as a as a kid um I, the the metaphor is that rats are or i don't know i'm probably using that word but it's that rats don't do things like humans they're not gonna like step on each other's toes or whatever uh i mean is a silly song i think let's be real it's okay to have some of it i think of this it doesn't take me out of the album sonically but i think this is like a filler b-side track this is a silly b-side it's not an album track but at the same time i have to say i can't say it's my least favorite here because it is memorable you're not going to forget that you just listened to eddie vedder singing about rats <laughs> um but, like, also, I, maybe it's just me. I just don't like to think about rats because they're pretty gross. <laughs> so, yeah, well, the grossness of rats for me is what makes this song awesome. And that sounds crazy at first, but hopefully, I can get you on board by the end of this thought. This song has never really done anything for me musically. Uh, I will say that it doesn't take me out of the album sonically, but I've always had a soft spot for this song because this is the counterpoint being done tongue in cheek by Eddie Vedder. So, and I love the fact that at the end of this narrative that he's talking to Ben, like it's him and Ben going to join these rats. So this is Eddie Vedder talking straight up sarcastically through this whole song and being like, Rats don't step on each other's toes. Rats don't shit where they're supposed to shit. You know, rats do this. Rats do that. All of it sarcastically and being like, come on, Ben, let's go join the rats, which is, you know, the total opposite of what Eddie Vedder believes in. Uh, that This one always made me laugh 
thinking about him and knowing even at a young age knowing how he felt about his his rock starness this one was a good laugh um you're right it is a silly track but it's it for me it's super silly because it's this ultimate sarcastic rant by him like come on ben let's go join the rats i always love that the oh, beauty rats. of rats <laughs> oh rats what what are we <laughs> Um, I, I just hope that the rats don't live in the home of the character in our next song. Uh, elderly woman behind the counter in the small town. Easily the longest title on the album. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it explains itself. It's about an elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. She's just kind of working in her small town and um. Eddie Vedder said a uh, really interesting, he said small towns really fascinated him because there's people who they either want to stay forever so they can feel like they're on top of something or they just want to get out as soon as they can. And there's also just people who end up stuck there. And uh, this one is really referencing that idea of a woman stuck in a small town. Like she's working her kind of dead end job, I guess is what you're saying, like behind the counter. And she kind of she sees her old flame who's moved on to other things and realizes who it is but doesn't say anything because he's gone on the bigger and better things she's was by that point too embarrassed to say hello which is really heartbreaking if you think about it. this is a really poignant song and it's the true acoustic ballad of the album i've seen daughter described as an acoustic song it's not it's still a rock song this is an acoustic song and uh, but it's really a beautifully done piece and it fits in with the whole ethos of this album it just because we're telling these stories and commenting on society this does fit in with that and it's another character song much like dissident or daughter so I is it my favorite here? No, but I do like it. I'll breathe a, a a breath of ease because I for some reason I thought you were gonna say this was your least favorite. No. And this is this is a highly this song has been a special song to me for forever. I don't know what it is. Um I knew at a young age it spoke to like if people listen to us, they know we're from Baltimore. Uh there is a even though it might be, it might look like a giant city. There's a small townness about it. We call it small Tamora all the time. We encounter these people. We encounter these, even in the, the, the sound. I mean, even in the music business through, you know, Baltimore, there's people that get stuck. It's that small townness. And that always resonated here, but the, the most love that I have comes from this just, and it's so wild because I found out looking it up uh, and reading about it that Eddie had said he wrote this in 20 minutes, like in a morning coffee and was just strumming, which makes sense because it's not in order, but it's like a G-D-A-C run, you know, such a simple, beautiful song, but so insanely character driven and so insanely powerful. The The guttural scream I won't even say scream, but the guttural sound of when he hits, I just want to scream hello, has brought me to tears millions of times through my life. That like I there I, I could you know, in a happy way, in a sad way, just in a feeling way, 
this song has always spoke to me on that level um i used to catch shit all the time back in the day because this is like uh in all honesty this is the track that i used to go to every time i turned this on and people be like come on man there's so much other good shit on this album I'm like i know but like this is my song uh i've always connected this one i really love this such a simple beautiful composition and you're god man you're so right the true acoustic um album uh, uh, the true acoustic song on this album yes but i i just realized something G- guess who could be the elderly woman for baltimore who miss betty yeah heard that heard that that, that <laughs> makes that makes t- you know that makes total sense yeah it's when, it's when you meet characters like that in life yeah. uh, that you know songs like these really resonate yeah. Yeah, I I grew up there, you know, down in Baltimore growing up, you know, just on the alley, knowing older ladies just like this or knowing older, just knowing people like this. It's such a such a neat song, such a a connecting song for me. The lady I mentioned, she's not quite as soft as this woman in her beliefs (laughs) or demeanor, I don't think. But yeah, she's the Halloween hater. (laughs) (laughs) yep but you know just like this song the those hometown ladies are are always a little bit approachable and this song is super approachable you know and not in a bullshit sense of like it's a machine made thing you know it's just a a natural beauty on this one nothing on this album is a machine made thing of course of course very happy to say that yeah this is like the first album ever that i at least i haven't started going off on a machine rant so <laughs> and i believe it because i believe in vetter and i believe in his his way of doing things I, yeah. I know that's how he did it yep but uh even if it's not the machine it doesn't mean they weren't thinking about the last album when they made this which uh applies to the next song leash this is written about the same subject as the song why go from 10 and uh, in the book I read, Long Road, um, it was described as a call to arms song like Rearview Mirror. Uh, I'm, I guess I can kind of see it. Uh, this is the other one that's the toss up for least favorite for me, though. I just don't think um, it really adds anything new to the conversation for this album, because uh, here we're going on such a wide range of aspects of humanity where having conversations about when you're listening to this and this doesn't add anything to that and um when i'm at the point when i'm expecting a new wrinkle to be added because that's what you've set up on the album when you don't i'm a little disappointed i'm not saying this is a concept album but still it just doesn't i wouldn't say it doesn't fit in but it doesn't add anything and i don't think it's especially memorable unfortunately yeah, you know, it's crazy that we're talking about the machine going into Leash. Um, and I have to say that I end up and always have ended up clumping Leash and Indifference together, Leash and the next track together, um, because I feel like they're in the same sort of narrative. So it's wild. And I love that the feeling, I love the feeling that you have here because I think it's a very, very widespread feeling as far as where the album goes. I, It's wild that this didn't stick the landing because for me, where we are in this album, the next wrinkle 
is really this out of nowhere look at Vetter being fed up with everything. And he's done such a great job going through all the things that he feels powerful about and these beautiful character driven pieces. And I feel like these, this one and the next one, but least a little bit more is this rebellious anthem of like, leave us alone and let us do what we do rather if it was made for the generation or if it was made for his own inside of his own heart, I'm not sure, but it can be taken both ways. I think that for me is the next wrinkle, but unfortunately, like you said, it doesn't necessarily sing out loud like the rest of the album does. So you really, I don't think I'm projecting, but I I am reaching a bit um, as far as putting sense to these last two songs. Get what you're saying, but actually, uh, I, I'm thinking we'll be on different pages, maybe, for the next, uh, which is our closing track, which is Indifference. Um, this, I can see how they go together, but this is a slow closer, and Eddie Feather said that it was about doing things for others to make their lives better, oh. even if it means going through hell for yourself. And um, first off, I think that's a wonderful thing to write about. Um. It's just, it's an important thing that comes up. I know it's something I thought of a lot. Like, I feel like, well, I'm doing all these things for, like, friends, but is it making me happy? It's just a very real thing to think about. And I think it's beautiful that he put it in this song. And uh, it's a very raw song. This is naked emotion everywhere. And you're just wondering... He's just wondering what difference it makes. That's why it's indifference. And uh, I mean, I think this is a stunning closer, especially when you add in the funeral organ um, in that regard. And uh, just it, it gives me chills. This one gives me chills in the best way possible. And um, that I have to give it respect to. I did want to know um, Stephen Hyden, the author of Long Road, he Compared this to a Bruce Springsteen song called Wreck on the Highway from the River album. I don't know that song, but now I'm interested in listening to it because, uh, I mean, I don't know if it was an inspiration or not, but um, I really enjoyed what he had to say here. And um, yeah, that's really, I think it's a beautiful closer about a very real topic. Yeah, no, I'm with you. We're, we're not on the same, uh, we're not on different sides and I'm sorry if I made it sound like lumping them together made uh, indifference in a lesser light uh, musically as as Leash. That, that's not what I was going to do. For me, more so, this lends this same type of thought process like you were saying, where you're doing... I feel like Eddie was... I don't feel like... I mean, it's it's written, but back then, I you know, I felt this, this sort of nervous Eddie, man. And he's finishing off this album saying exactly what he means and 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 exactly what he feels really and that's is this really you know is this really resonating is this really making a difference um this speaks only to the machine for me because or more so to the machine here for me with the line swallow poison till i grow immune scream my lungs out just to fill this room like it, it you can hear him be talking about himself in this track it is such a stunning way to end an album it's such an open way to end an album and a truthful way to end an album 
And I expect nothing less from Eddie Vedder in, in that sense. Um, I really am happy that it closed out on a introspective, somber look than if it would have ended on, you know, a live banger because we got all that and we we feel this i feel i feel like we feel this more being here on the album than anywhere else and that's why it's a perfect closer yes most definitely there we have it versus what what a ride i really enjoyed doing this one even if grunge isn't my comfort genre i really enjoyed talking i think uh the genre just naturally leads to great discussion and i think this was a this was a great grunge discussion. Um, it definitely does. It definitely does. Yeah. But uh, with that being said, uh, now let's uh, just tally it up. What's your grade for the album? This one from front to back, a wide range of emotions like we've talked about throughout, and ninety eight percent of them perfectly done and perfectly set and perfectly put into composition whether it be the screaming vocals of a young eddie vetter or the genius that is sometimes unsung by the band that we know as pearl jam this one hits all the way i i know i say it all the time but this one is one of the ones that is just in my heart and it's a very easy for me to be like oh it's an a plus album all the way through um very super critical down to it nitpicking this album i give it an a that that is very fair i didn't grow up with it i am going to give it a b plus um which that's really good for me for a grudge album i think i really found myself uh, uh enjoying just the eddie vetter's songwriting i think is really incredible frankly and um, I just think this album does what it needs to do. It does what it sets out to do, and it's a beautiful album. And uh, definitely my favorite grunge album we've covered on this show. I think it's like the third one we've done. This one's definitely the best for me. And I, I would like to discuss Pearl Jam again after this. I really enjoy doing it. So hopefully sometime in the future, we'll be we'll be back with Eddie and the boys. <laughs> I'm always down. I was, I'm so happy to hear you have a good time with this album. And I have to say, I was super happy to talk Eddie with you because I know, and we talk about all the time, how much of a lover of the singer songwriter you are. And Eddie is just one of the ones up there, especially yeah. coming out of this era. He's a, he's a prolific songwriter. Most definitely. Most definitely. And I, Love to see him at Taylor Swift's Seattle show. He was there. I loved to see that. No shit. What song they do? They didn't sing together. He just oh. attended it. <laughs> you got my heart skipped to beat for a second. That would have been. Oh, that would have been. No, but he was there. It, I was that's like, that's shit. perfect. Him at the Seattle show. That's just perfect. That's amazing. Good for him. Yes, for but him. um, we we won't be. We're going to keep it going. We have the, the Battle Royale, the other grunge bigwig next week, Nirvana and their 93 album, In Utero. In Utero. This one, I, I'll i go out I'll go out on a limb before we even get to next week, not even putting thoughts in your head, but we'll find a different Nirvana in this album. We will find a different sound, and 
93 is is a, a unique year for all these boys, but more so in the sound of in utero. So I hope you have the same awesome time with in utero that you did with versus. We, we shall see, but so, <laughs> so far, I, I have one good impression so far because I heard one of the songs on an awesome show I just watched called Succession, so. Was it Heart Shaped Box? Rape Me. Wow, on Succession. Yes. That's, that, that's one that's not in circulation too much anymore, but oh. a beautiful piece. Not, it, not giving away too much. <laughs> it was used brilliantly in the show. Awesome. That's all. We'll talk more next week, though. Heck but yeah. um, before we do the battle of these two albums, though, I do have to, I have to reveal the results of the last battle we did. Oh, yeah. I want to hear Ray of Light versus the Velvet Rope. We got great engagement on this one. I was really happy to see so many people, um, put in their opinion on this very happy to see that but uh even with all those different opinions it, it was not close it was a blowout really yeah um in, in the margin of it was um with 82 percent of the vote the winner was ray of light yeah not they they sided with us so yeah there ray of light it's a powerful album, man. It's a powerful it album. Is. That's a that's a tough one to go up against. If I was an album, I would be. If it was a March Madness and the championship was on the line, as an album, I'd be I'd be shaking in my boots to go up against that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's plenty of albums that would be shaking in their boots up against Velvet Rope, I think too. Of course, most definitely. Uh, so there we have it. I did want to reveal all of that and. um just also, yes, stay, t- stay tuned for next week. We didn't do favorite song. <gasps> You're right, we did. <laughs> what you got? Oh, um, uh, it's a toss up. It's a toss up, but uh, my heart's telling me glorified G. Nice, nice. For me, as much as I, I spoke on Elderly, uh, I, and I love that song, for me, Daughter has always been the reigning champion of this album. It's my jam. Can't Don't go call wrong me with, Daughter. Can't go wrong with Daughter. Yeah, not at all. Yes, what a wild ride. Thank you for listening, and... Until next time, don't stay in your heart-shaped box for too long because you gotta listen to our next episode. So, in the meantime, just hold on and uh, we'll be with you soon. Peace!